Well, a very good morning once again. Uh, really is a great joy to be together with you this morning. Uh, as you will know if you've been here for the last few weeks, and if you haven't, uh, just to give you a heads up that we are currently going through kind of a series of just looking at who we are as a church, uh, what we want to commit ourselves to uh, for the year ahead, uh, and in many ways that's kind of summarized in the phrase of seeking God. Uh, so we want to be a people who are found to be wise, uh, and the scriptures say that for you to be wise, you need to be a person who seeks God. And so we want to do that. And so we looked the very first week uh, at the apostles' teachings, uh, the scriptures, how those help us to seek God. Uh, and then last week we looked at fellowship uh, and how through fellowship we get to be a people who get to seek God more. And so part of that fellowship was the men who went on a hike. Uh, and so I've asked Matt to come and give some feedback on how that went and just to hear uh, some of the work that God did there. Hello, everyone. For those who don't know you, I'm a different man, not the one he normally picks on. <laughs> um, the men's hike was fantastic. Is it on? Can you hear me? Oh, there we go. Um, it rained the entire Saturday. <laughs> so we all had like some extreme hiking experience at the end of this. Um, but it was great. There was such camaraderie. We all had a chance to talk to each other, get to know each other a little bit. And we had the log fires at the end, at the cabins, that kept everything warm, including all the stinky shoes. That was such a bonding experience. And <laughs> discussing the etiquette of the correct way to do coffee, everyone had different little contraptions for their coffee making. But I, I just want to commend Marius for making a quiet space to speak to God. Like the next day was completely sunny, perfect weather, we could actually see the views and just have some introspection and quiet time to listen to what God's trying to tell us. And um, so some people like twisted their ankle, what, what loses? And, <laughs> um, Marius then just showed his like servant leadership and just picked up the backpack and carried it for them. And it, it was just that kind of thing. I, I, I've never done one of these men's hikes before. And the next opportunity that comes along, you, you may just grab it because it's so worth it. Hey, Jen. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, just a great demonstration of exactly what we were preaching on um, last week, so making this very practical. So as you'll see, that slide, which is probably down now, um, so essentially, in summary, that's kind of what we're trying to shoot for as a church. We really want to keep our walk with the Lord simple. We don't want to add on to it uh, overcomplication. We want to be a people who learns to love God and love others. Uh, we do that through making disciples as Jesus commanded us to. And we find that the foundations of the apostles' teachings, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, uh, kind of are the foundations upon which that community and that church is built. And so this morning we get to look at the breaking of bread. Very exciting. It really is absolutely amazing. So if you have your Bibles... Uh, you can open them to Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42. When we look at the Scriptures, we find that there are essentially two ordinances or two kind of commands or practices that Jesus gives us as His church. Uh, those two being water baptism and the second one, Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, uh, all of these various uh, names or the breaking of bread being another one. Uh, and interestingly, 
All of those terms actually come from the Scriptures. You may wonder why there's so many terms that we have for the breaking of bread, uh, but it's there because uh, it's actually from the Scriptures. As a church, we have very little regard or respect for man-made ordinances. Uh, We don't want to be a church that has uh, all this kind of structure and stuff that we've put in place, which we hold to and go, uh, this is what the church of Jesus needs to look like. If it's not in Scripture, we don't want to know about it. Absolutely, if it facilitates and helps us to make disciples uh, in a better and more effective way, then for sure. But we want to hold those things very lightly. We want to make sure that the things that we are not holding lightly are the things that Jesus has commanded us as a church. And so we want to aim for kind of some terminology that's been thrown around. We want to aim for a raw, uncomplicated kind of church. Are we all up for that? Amen. Good. And so we want to be devoted to the things that the early church was devoted to. And so, like I said, that's the apostles' teachings. We want to be devoted to the scriptures. Uh, We want to be devoted to fellowship as a community. Uh, We want to be devoted to the breaking of bread, and we'll understand a bit more about that. And we also want to be a people who are devoted to prayer in all of its shape and forms. Uh, For those who uh, have been baptized, you understand that your baptism uh, in many ways is an outward representation, right, of an inner work that the Lord has done. And in the same way, communion or breaking of bread is a very similar thing. It's an, it's an outward act that confirms something that's happened inside of us. Uh, and so it's for those who have put their faith in Jesus. It's for believers who have put their trust in Him. Uh, so today we get to look at the significance of it. So you would have heard about it. I'm sure you would have done it. Uh, but today we're going to look at what the Scriptures tell us about it. And so we want to do what Jesus commands us, nothing more, nothing less. Uh, let's just keep this as simple as we can. So, Acts 2.42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And when those things are the foundation of your church and are really a part of your culture and who you are, all comes upon everyone because many wonders and signs are being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple... They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the will of all the the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, who got people saved? The Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And so we want to make sure that we're busy with the right things, not thinking that we are the Lord and busying ourselves with the wrong things. We want to be faithful followers of Jesus and commit ourselves to what Jesus says we must commit ourselves. And so the two uh, things that we, Jesus commands us to are water baptism and the breaking of bread. And there's two things that we see about the effects of breaking bread together. We see it in Luke 22. So you can turn your Bibles to Luke 22, verses 7. Luke 22, verse 7. And it says this. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover meal for us, that we may eat it. They asked him, Where do you want us to make preparations for it? Listen, he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, already furnished. Make preparations for us there. So they went and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When the hour came, he took his place, or some translations say reclined, 
at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, so the word Eucharist comes from the Greek word Eucharistio, which means giving thanks. That's where we get Eucharist from. He said, take this and divide it up, uh, it's, and divide it up among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so the first effect of us breaking bread together is that we remember, right? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And this is incredibly simple, yet incredibly significant. Throughout Israel's history, the people of Israel were constantly commanded to teach their children and remind them of the things that God had done. They used to set up these stones of remembrance there throughout the Old Testament, this ongoing command of God to his people to remember and to remind those. We even see the epistles, uh, the New Testament, they write these letters and you see them saying, it, it doesn't burden me to remind you once again of the things that Jesus has taught. And so a very simple act of remembrance and yet incredibly significant for us as believers. It's not a complex ritual with all these invocations and all these uh, steps that we need to do. Uh, we break bread, we, drink, we eat the bread, we drink the wine or the juice together. Very simple, not complicated. What we do in that remembrance is we acknowledge Christ's incarnation, yes? Jesus is my body. And so as we take that bread, we remember that Jesus was a human like us. Because the more we walk with him and the, the further behind our day of salvation is behind us, Jesus begins to move, I don't know about you, but into this heavenly space and becomes this distant God. And what we do when we break bread together is we remember, no, no, he was actually here walking on this planet with us. He got the same dust on his sandals as we did, do. He ate the same food that we eat. He was, he was human like us. And so when we break bread together and hold that actual bread in our hands, it's a reminder that Jesus was here. And we remember his incarnation. It's an acknowledgement of Christ's suffering and death for all those who believe as that bread is broken. It's a reminder to us that his body was broken for us. And so we think about this and we go, I've heard this a hundred times, wonderful, because this is supposed to be a reminder to us every time that we do it. We also acknowledge our own partaking in it, yes, because we eat that bread. And so we acknowledge and we remember our partaking, that choice of deciding for Jesus, Jesus for us. We can have a huge theological discussion around that. But it's about our engagement, our own personal engagement with Jesus, as we have that. But then it's also a reminder from that word Eucharist of thanksgiving. Don't know about you, but sometimes we can get around the, the Lord's Supper and it can become the Lord's Supper and everything's all, hey? We do that sometimes and it's good. We'll get to that. But the point is actually thanksgiving. It's supposed to get us to a point of going, Jesus, you broke your body for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And so sometimes when we're in a space of kind of forgetting the goodness of God or life is a little tougher than, than we remember it to be, 
Breaking bread is actually a really good draw for us back to the Lord and back into a place of thanksgiving as we remember all that He's done for us and our partaking in what He has done. His death resulting in our salvation, yes? His death resulting in the new covenant. The old covenant in Adam, which He messed up on our behalf and we're stuck in that covenant. But then Jesus, as He breaks His body and pours out His blood, says there's now a new covenant. As you put your trust and your faith in me, you now become part of this new Adam, the second Adam. And instead of inheriting the loss and the curse through this Adam, we get to inherit the blessing and the life through Jesus. Surely that draws us to thanksgiving. Surely. It must. must lift our eyes again. It's thanksgiving about the freedom that we've now inherited in Christ. Very quickly, I don't know about you, but very quickly we try to put all these legalistic things back into our life, yes? These things we need to do. These things that will sanctify us. What Jesus is saying, let's just keep this simple. You want a law? Here's one. Go break bread and remember me. It's so freeing and life-giving. Jesus not wanting us to find ourselves encaged once again. He wants to make us free. It's on the day of unleavened bread at the celebration of the Passover meal. And so the significance is from Exodus You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And so as we break bread, we actually continue God's command to Israel back in Exodus. Because it's a it's a to be observed, a statute for you and for your sons forever. And so we continue in that obedience. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep the service. And when your children say to you, because It helps us to remember when your children say, what do you mean by this service? Why are you breaking this bread? Why are you drinking this juice? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're declaring that very same Passover. That the Lord has passed over our current homes. And that the angel of death has passed over because of the blood of Christ. We get to be a part of that heritage all the way from Exodus. And he's saying, do this. And when your kids say, Dad, why do we keep doing this? Mom, why do we keep doing this? Well, let me tell you and let me remind you. The angel of death has passed over our family because of the grace of Jesus. And so we get this Passover blessing. And what the... Ancient Israel would say is at the Passover blessing, they say, Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from earth. Referring in our knowledge and acknowledgement to the body of Jesus. It is his provision that he supplied Jesus the bread that was broken for us. And so what this reminding does is it places Jesus at the center again. Because once again, the longer you walk with Jesus, other things can work their way into the center. Yes, how successful my life group is, how great my ministry is, how many people I've fed, how well I treated the brother or sister next to me. All these things are important, but they're not the center. What the Lord's Supper does is it reminds us that Jesus is at the center. You know that we are not primarily Bible obeyers devoted to the apostles' teachings. We are not primarily fellowshippers as much as we love one another. We are not primarily prayers. Primarily, we are sons and daughters of God, saved by Jesus, 
That's the center. All these other things get added on. And what the Lord's Supper does is it reminds us, as much as we love the Scriptures, as much as we love fellowship, as much as we love praying, those things are secondary. I say that very carefully. Secondary to Jesus, the person being at the center of our lives. If all those things don't take us back to Him, then we're wasting our time. And the Lord's Supper is one that you can, it's very difficult to take the Lord's Supper and miss Jesus. It's very, very difficult. Because we're remembering, we're celebrating His very body that is broken. He's even given us the words to say, My body broken for you. My blood spilt out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so the cup of blessing that we bless, says Paul to the Corinthians, is it not a sharing? And that sharing is the word koinonia, which is where we get the word communion from. That same communion that we have with the Holy Spirit and with one another. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a communion in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a communion in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, Jesus, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices partner in the altar. What do I imply then? That food sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? And his answer is no. Jesus, the bread, is everything. That's what Paul's trying to say. The dinner table is not the place to be thinking about our work, how well we're doing as Christians. The Lord's dinner table is the place where we acknowledge Him, we remember Him, we thank Him, we worship Him. He gets the center stage once again every time we break bread together. And of course, even that we can remove to just the thing that we do every Sunday, yes? But I'm so grateful that today we get to actually remember the significance of the act, but more importantly, the significance of Jesus. We remember Him because He remembers you. Every time that we identify with that bread that we have taken, we remember that He will remember us. Once we stand before the throne of God, we're not going to be standing there stoxia and trying to give account for our lives. I'd hate to do that. God is incredibly wise. As we're about to give testimony, as uh, Artie Kendall would say, why should I allow you into my heaven? And just before we're about to speak, Jesus comes on our behalf and speaks to the Father. He will remember you. On the day that you stand before the Father, and so we get to remember Him until His return. And that should bring us indescribable joy and reverence for Him. It really should. Our walk with Jesus has got to be tainted with joy. We say this often, but Christians can so often seem like they've been baptized in lemon juice, yes? I'm probably going to have to come up with a new illustration. I think it's getting a little old. But it's true. We're supposed to be a people of joy. And I know even when you're going up that hike, there are moments when it's not joyful. You remember Jesus' body being broken for you. But as we break bread together, it's supposed to remind us of Jesus for us to live these lives of joy. And so firstly, when we break bread, the effect of it is that we remember. The second thing is that we proclaim. We don't just remember but what we're doing actually proclaims something. For I received from the Lord, says Paul, what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, this is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. So remember me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So every time we do that, we're proclaiming and acknowledging Jesus came as a human and he died, but he's coming back. And so it's not just a theory that we get to sit and, oh yes, I need to remember that. Every time we break bread, it's a proclamation to those who witness it that Jesus is coming back for us. As much, like I said, as baptism is the same thing, it's an outward proclamation. Breaking of bread is also an outward proclamation of something that's happened internally inside of us. That we believe Jesus, we put our trust in Him, but we know that He's coming back. And so it's a proclamation to ourselves when we remember. It's a proclamation to other believers when we break bread with them. It's a proclamation to God, saying, God, we trust in your Son. Thank you for Him. We celebrate Him. But it's also a proclamation to unbelievers, family members who see you breaking bread, going, what are you weirdos doing? Well, it's a funny story, but... And even if you don't have to explain it, the fact that you do it, the fact that we do it as a community, is a proclamation to the world. It's a proclamation to our kids who go, why do we keep doing this? And we get to remind them, let me tell you about Jesus. We get to proclaim. We get to remember, but we also get to proclaim to the world. And so what form or manner should this Lord's Supper take? What should it look like? Through those scriptures, we see that it should happen often, at any time, and at any place. Regularly, they talk about it happening in homes, and so you don't have to wait for the hired holy hand to come to your home to break bread with you. But that in your homes, as a believer, you get to break bread with other believers. We see Jesus when he, that beautiful story of him walking with the disciples to Emmaus. Remember that? Where he describes the scriptures to them, and then they feel that their hearts are burning inside of them as Jesus opened the scriptures up. But the part about it that's important for us today is that as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly in fellowship, saying, come, stay with us. Because it's almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. How cool would that be? Paul on the ship. Do you remember when that ship was going down? And everyone's freaking out and they say, oh, we haven't eaten food because we might not have enough, whatever. Paul says, I had a dream. Don't worry. We're going to be okay. He breaks bread and gives it to them and their faith is encouraged. The Corinthian church, at all their gatherings, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on, every time they gathered, they broke bread together. And so we do it often, we do it at any place where there are gathering of believers. Spurgeon says that the frequency of it is to show how often we need to be reminded of our dear Lord, for we are prone to forget Him. That's who we are. We are prone to forget Him. Jono started studying again after how many years, did you say? 20 years. He realized how much he had forgotten when he opened up those books again. He sends me this photo. It's a stack of books like this. Lots of numbers in there, lots of formulas. But we are a people prone to forget. And so we need to do things regularly in order for us to be reminded. And so we do it often. 
We do it together as saints. We do it, the terminology which I love is reclining at the table. Don't you like that? We're like just chilling at the table. Yes, there's a reverence, but there's also a being with Jesus. Chilling together, enjoying Him. It was a feast, not just a ceremony. They were to eat together. They were to enjoy one another. And so we need to be careful as Christians of making the breaking of bread this thing that we only do at organized events and it becomes this overly serious thing. We want to be in the presence of Jesus, reclining with Him, enjoying Him, Him enjoying us. The spirit with which we do it is we do it simply. Let's not overcomplicate this thing. Jesus intended for it to be simple. So we see thanksgiving, we see the breaking of the bread, we see them eating it, we see them giving thanks, we see them taking the cup, and we see them drinking. That's it in summary. As we remember Jesus and proclaim him. But it's not grand enough for us, is it? We want lights, we want smoke machines. When we remember the Lord, we want these amazing moments, and Jesus is saying, you know what? Life's going to be hard, there's going to be suffering. Me dying on the cross wasn't, I'm sure heavens, everything went crazy, but he's saying that for us to remember this, we're not going to be the rock and roll stars of the world. In quietness and humility, we're going to remember our Lord regularly, often, around the table with simple things, the most simplest of things, bread and wine. And it's a great reminder for us of the humility of Jesus and how this is supposed to be a simple thing. Not as, as we see in the Corinthian church, starting to bring more and more glamorous food. Communion today will be sushi. Yeah, nice. The problem with the Corinthian church is that only some people had the sushi. Others had Melrose sandwiches. On that point, I hope I'm going to remember where I am. I hope I'm going to remember where I am. Last week, when I was really grateful for the food that everyone was bringing, I said, the food's been amazing. And I said that in order to affirm just the generosity of our hearts. But in it, I also said it wasn't just soup. And I don't want to undermine the value of someone bringing a cup of soup. Is that okay? That a cup of soup, as with the widow who brought her one might, could be more glorious in the eyes of God to someone who brought sushi. Not that anyone brought sushi, and I'm not asking you to bring sushi. <laughs> but just in the week, as I was thinking about that comment, the Lord was like, that's not okay. Okay. Please, I hope I get back to where I was. Where was I? Where was I? Simple. So it's a simple thing that the Lord is calling us to. Not grand. And so we, the simplicity of it is remembering Christ as a real person in our presence, not an abstract, faraway figure. That he's with us in that moment, opening our eyes. Remember, that's the point, seeking God, relationship and unity with him. And so when we break bread, let it not become just this monotonous thing we do week in and week out. Let it become a moment where we remember the presence of God. That he's with us, enjoying that moment of us celebrating him. But it is only for those who have a vital and living relationship with Jesus. It's only for those who would term themselves Christians, who've put their trust and their faith in Him. But the beauty of it is that it is received. Yes, we don't have to bring anything. It's all provided for us. You don't bring anything to the cross other than the sin by which you need to be saved. That's all we bring. 
And so the beauty of the symbolism of it is that whoever provides it, all we do is come to receive it. And so the spirit in which we approach the table, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he says, in the following instruction, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And so this talks about fellowship that we spoke into. And to some extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you or splits, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. How this is that? When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper, for when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and the one goes hungry and the other becomes drunk. What? It's actually there. What with an exclamation mark. It's like, what? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Do the sushi bringers humiliate the Melrose people? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, simplest of food. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread... And drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. So it does notch up a little level here. Yeah? Examine yourselves, not one another. Examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body, without assessing, without sitting before the Lord going, where am I at? They eat and drink judgment against themselves. How vicious is this? For this reason, some of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge each other, no, if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you're hungry, eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for your condemnation. About the other things, I will give you instructions when I come. So at corporate gatherings, he's saying, it's not here to have a, a feast unless we actually decide we're all going to have a feast but when we do gather together like this, it's not for us just to scramble and eat as much as we can. And so, as we examine ourselves, I'm going to hit a few points out of that. And just I want you to examine yourself. No one else is examining you. Husbands, don't examine your wives. Examine yourselves. First thing he talks about is unity. There was division. There was dissension. Is there unity? Do you have unity with this body? It is a matter of the body of Christ coming before the head. It is a big deal to Jesus. Do you find yourself divisive? Let the Holy Spirit answer that question for you. Is there an offense that someone has caused that is causing division? Let the Lord speak to you on that. When we do this, we need to come in unity. Secondly, love and self-abasement or humility. Counting others more important than yourselves. Let other people go first, he says. 
Because the Lord's Supper returns dignity to everyone. It's not about those who have mega bucks and those who don't. Those who have nice clothes and those who don't. It abases all of us as we come and realize that we bring nothing. We come to receive. How are you on waiting for others, or as Paul would write in, in another place, counting others more important than yourself? For ourselves, it also gets us to question our humility, that we cannot sustain our own spirituality. Without regular reminders of Jesus that his body was broken for us, we will not sustain our walk with him. The early church was devoted to the Lord's Supper. It's not something they did once a year. They did it regularly. And the more we can be reminded about Jesus, what he did, and the influence he's having in our lives, the more we're going to grow and mature into his image. It's a humility because we come and make sure that we don't turn this festive table into a judgment seat. We come assessing ourselves in humility and saying, God, help. We come with thoughtfulness. He says, examine yourselves. Don't just rock up, cool bread, like I hope this is gluten-free. Examine, not the bread, examine yourself. <laughs> Although I must say, I'm so glad we've stopped that juice. I don't know what was in there. <laughs> but examine yourself. Think much about what's going on, where your life's at, how you're reacting and interacting with the body. Your faith. Where you're at in your trust of Jesus and what he brings. Repentance. We come to the judgment seat and think, God, I'm so grateful you've forgiven me. How do we come to the table still holding offense with somebody else? How are you on repentance? Examine yourself in obedience. Jesus says, those who love me, obey me. But we're not coming to the table looking for perfection because that's found on the table. Not in us. But Jesus does say, those who approach this table must be those who walk in obedience to me. How is your obedience going? Not perfection, obedience. And lastly, how's your thankfulness for Jesus? Have you forgotten his goodness to you? Yes, but I'm terminally ill. Have you forgotten his goodness to you? That one day, that body will be made whole. No more tears, no more sickness. This freaking shoulder of mine as I've started surfing, I'm like, Lord, please, just bring it now. <laughs> the only problem is I need to die in order to get that new body, so we can delay that one, Lord. How's your thankfulness to Jesus? When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it 
in remembrance of me. We're going to do this in remembrance of Jesus. Are you in that new covenant with him? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord? Do you believe that he is the Son of God? That is the scriptural requirement for you to be found in Christ. Not to sort your life out, not to be an exemplary Christian. It's to believe in Jesus and to confess with your mouth that he is the Son of God. And so we're all going to do that together as saints because we already believe that. But there may be some of you who've never done that before. And if God is prompting you to confess that he is the Son of God and that his Spirit is moving you toward believing in him, then I'm going to ask you to do that together with us as saints. Is that good? But no pressure from me trying to convince you. I want the Spirit of God to be working on your heart. So together can we say, believers, that Jesus, I believe in you. You are the Son of God. This is as simple as what Christianity is. Jesus, I believe in you. You are the Son of God. Can we say that together? One, two, three. Jesus, I believe in you. You are the Son of God. With that, can I ask one representative of each family that's here to go to the back, grab a roll, and break it, and hand it out to people around you who don't have, please? Yes, get your juice as well, please. King Jesus, we come before you as your people in remembrance of your death on the cross and all that you have accomplished for us. We come remembering the new covenant, acknowledging that in you we have been saved from the law, we've been saved from our sins, and we find ourselves in right standing with the Father. Lord, as we do this, we proclaim your death until your return. Your people proclaim that you are our God and that we worship you. Lord, how sweet is the truth that we don't have to bring anything to the table, but that you have supplied the bread and you have supplied the cup. We do nothing but eat and drink. We are the receivers, Lord. You are our great giver. And so we remember you as our Lord. We remember you as our master. And we say, Lord, there is nothing that we can do. You have done it all for us. Would you continue to do that work in our lives as we eat and drink in remembrance of you? Amen.